You're listening to the Finding Christ in the Old Testament series, preaching by Pastor Rick Dressler at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. 1 Kings chapter 12 this morning. If you have been following this series with us, you will know that we come to a place where Solomon has died. And now all of Israel has gathered together uh, to make Rehoboam, his son, king in his stead. And so they've gathered together, they've come, but they've got some concerns. And the one is this, that Solomon, under his reign, there was heavy taxation. People struggled. And so they said, listen, the congregation comes together and they say, Rehoboam, if you will just alleviate this tax burden, if you will make it easy for us, we will serve you forever. And it sounds reasonable. And so Rehoboam then seeks the counsel of the old men, the older men who had grown up with Solomon, who were his advisors. And he says, what should I do? And they said, listen, if you will listen to these people, if you will speak kind to these people, if you'll do what they said, they will serve you forever. So Rehoboam says, okay, that's great. He goes to the young man and says, how do you think we should answer the people? And they say, you've got to play hardball, man. You've you got to let them know who's in charge. And you should tell them that if you think daddy was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. And that's the advice that he takes. And so he speaks roughly to the people. And in our text this morning, we will continue to see how Rehoboam seeks to maintain the kingdom. Jump down at verse number 16 of chapter 12 this morning. And Rehoboam has answered them roughly. He says, I'm not doing what you asked. As a matter of fact, it's going to be worse for you. And I want you to listen now to the tone of the children of Israel, the congregation who's assembled there. And I want you to hear this vitriolic attack. And I want you to notice who it's directed toward. Listen to what they say. What portion have we in David? What inheritance in the son of Jesse? Now see to your own house, David. Now, you understand that that Rehoboam is connected to the house and dynasty of David. He is his grandson. But it's amazing to me to see how the congregation now, because of Rehoboam's actions, have now minimized everything that David had done. Do you remember how when David was a youth, when the armies would come back, they would sing, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. And now because of the actions of Rehoboam, the name and the dynasty of David is besmirched. The truth of the matter is the covenant with David is secure. That through David's line, Messiah would come. That could not be changed. Nothing could change it. But Rehoboam's actions besmirched and soiled the name of the king. Let's just pause here for a thought before we move on with the story. Because the truth is, as we think about Rehoboam and the response now to the dynasty of David, I think we understand that that there's nothing we can do today now to disrupt God's promises and God's plans, right? God will save, God will redeem, God will reign. 
But the fact is, we as his people, at times, because of our actions, can bring reproach upon the name of Christ. We live in a strange world today. I'm talking about our world. I'm talking about our culture. I'm talking about North American Christianity. That there's very little difference today between the church and the world. Right? Our goals, our priorities, our dreams, our hopes, our homes, our families, our relationships. Sometimes you can't tell the world apart from the church. And unfortunately for many of us this morning, we all know friends and family members who live better lives, more consistent lives, more kind lives than some believers. Right? There's a problem when the church is known for bitter, toxic spirits, for unforgiving hearts, for self-righteousness and selfishness, for criticism and gossip, for sheer unkindness and cruelty. And listen, I know and I get that we are sinners, and we'll talk more about that. Um, And I get and I understand that there is a growth process for all of us. It takes a long time to change what's been ingrained in our lives. I understand that. But if the only thing that we're ever known by is that kind of behavior, it is troubling for the cause of Christ. No wonder the salt has lost its savor. It's problematic. There's a story that's told about Alexander the Great, known for his military prowess, his valor, and his bravery. And in his army, like any army, if you were to flee during combat, it was a capital offense. And the story goes that one day on his throne, they brought a soldier into the courtyard. And Alexander was there. And as this soldier came in, it was obvious that he was a youth, maybe 14 years old. And right away, Alexander's demeanor changed, just completely changed. He understood this was a child he was talking to. And so in a tone of real tenderness, he said, son, what is your name? And the young man bowed his knee and said, Oh, great king, my name is as thine, it's Alexander. And it was like a switch went off in Alexander's mind, and from compassion and tenderness, he flew off the throne in a rage, grabbed the young man by his shirt, pulled him to his face and said, Then either change your behavior or change your name. You understand, right? Alexander's name associated with bravery and valor. And this man had shamed the name. I think it's imperative for our people, members of Maple City Baptist Church, to have good testimonies. I think if you tell people, hey, listen, I go to Maple City, I'm a member of Maple City, then there should be something about your life that is attractive when it comes to the gospel of Christ. And if it's not, tell me go to the other church down the road. Right? I think that's important. But far greater than MCBC and making that name look okay is the fact that we are under a worthy name. It is the name of Jesus Christ, our Master, our Christ, our beloved Savior. And it should be that our lives are an honest reflection of Him. And Rehoboam, through his actions, soils 
the name of the king. And that should not be our case. Ever. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's about the glory and the name of Jesus Christ. So Rehoboam does this. Now we come down to verse number 17. He answers roughly. They say, to your own house, David. Let's look at 17 together. Um, But as for the children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So you get the picture. He answers roughly. They're not happy with it. They take off. Now, think with me. What was the reason in the beginning that Israel left King Rehoboam? Why did they revolt? The bottom line was what? We just said it three minutes ago. The taxes. Yeah, it was. It was God's plan, but we'll get back to that. Corinne, don't be spiritual on me. Okay. But the reason they gave was high taxes, right? They were revolting because they said, listen, the taxes are too high. So I want you to see how smart Rehoboam is and what his plan is now. They've left because of high taxes, and you're going to find that he obviously had not read the Hebrew version of how to win friends and influence people. Because here's his plan now to bring Israel back under a united kingdom. Verse 18. Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the tribute. Here's a great idea. The people are rebelling for taxes, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send a tax guy to collect their taxes. How do you think that went? Not well. A matter of fact, the children of Israel threw him a rock party. Literally, a rock party. Adoram is stoned. And I mean literally stoned to death. Great idea, Rehoboam. And Rehoboam makes speed. He gets out of the chariot, and he is gone. Verse number 19. So Israel rebelled against the house of David unto this day. And it came to pass, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called him unto the congregation and made him king over all Israel. There was none that followed the house of David, but the tribe of Judah only. So he tries the tax guy, that doesn't work, and now he comes up with another plan. Verse 21. And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors, to fight against the house of Israel, to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. And so here's what he thinks now. The tax I didn't work. I spoke roughly, tax I didn't work. And now what I'm going to do is gather together 180,000 warriors. I'm going to physically bring them back. I'm going to, I'm going to start a bloodbath and a civil war. Verse 22. But the word of God came on to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak unto Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and unto all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Now listen, here's the the man of God, the prophet comes now. Rehoboam is ready, 180,000 soldiers, ready to go to war. And listen how the, the word of the Lord comes to him. It is tender, it is kind, it almost sounds parental to me. He says, Thus saith the Lord, you shall not go up, nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing is 
from me. God says, give it up. Don't fight. Just go home. Go home. And in this moment, several things I'm sure crosses Rehoboam's mind. Number one, he realizes his tremendous loss. Rehoboam had done nothing. He was born the son of Solomon, and he was given a kingdom on a silver platter. It was just given to him, and now it is gone. It is lost. It is not coming back. It's finished. Can you imagine now hearing, go home, this thing is from me. And then what sinks in is this. He is now reaping the consequences of his actions. Ultimately, he was the one who made the decision not to listen to the old men. Ultimately, he listened to the young men. Ultimately, he spoke roughly to them. Ultimately, he sent the tax guide. Ultimately, he wanted to have the army bring them back. These were his consequences. And finally, he returns home. Look at the end of verse 24. They hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord and returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. This is the first right thing that Rehoboam does. He listens to the word of God. And we don't see it in the text here, but in 2 Chronicles chapter 11, we find that after he goes home now, he, for the next several years, walks in the way of David. The kingdom prospers, and there's a sense of wellness. He accepts, and he does well. That is the story of Rehoboam. This morning, I want to speak to broken sinners. And the gospel gives us real liberty to do this, because when we say we believe the gospel, the first thing we understand is that we we have to accept that we are sinners. We are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. We have disobeyed, rebelled against the holy God. That's what the gospel tells us. The gospel tells us that left on our own, we are doomed. We're doomed. And at the same time, it says that we are accepted in the beloved, warts and all, that God loves us. And so this morning, I want to take a few moments talking to broken sinners. Broken sinners. To you and to me. Um, the truth is, sin doesn't destroy the church because the church is made up of sinners. We are full of sin. What destroys churches is unconfessed and unaddressed sin. Destroys churches. And so this morning, I come to broken sinners who I believe we all have a past. We all have regrets. We all have shame. And we have many of us, a sense of tremendous loss in our life. And maybe this morning, you are now living a life of reaping some things that you have sown, just like Rehoboam. Can I tell you something? The world lies to us all the time. We lie to ourselves. But, but three of the great lies that we hear from the world are these. Number one, the world tells us that we can sin and we won't get caught. Right? Because we're the exception. We're smarter. We're wiser. That's for everybody else. They're fools. I will never get caught. That's a lie. Your sin and my sin will find us out. There's no way around it. One way or the other, your sin, my sin will be exposed. So that's a lie. The second lie is this, that I can go outside of God's sacred boundaries, make decisions against what he says I ought to be doing as far as 
flourishing, and somehow that will bring me fulfillment and happiness. That is a lie. The truth is, it cannot be done. That route, and we hear that all the time, you do what you want to do, don't worry about a God of heaven, you can find happiness and joy and fulfillment. It's a lie. It's gravel in your mouth, it's a fistful of sand, it will never produce what it promises. It can't. Do you know why? Because all pleasure and all joy comes from him. He is the fountain of goodness and peace and love and everything that we need. So when we think we can go outside of that and find fulfillment, it's a lie. Old people, young people, middle-aged people, don't fall for it. It's a lie. It's a lie. And the third one is this, and this is Rehoboam's, that I can say what I want, I can do what I want, I can behave like I want, and there are no consequences for my actions. And the world's preaching that today. And that is not true. There is a law of sowing and reaping, and you're not above those things. There is a consequence for my actions and my ideas. And actions of today will reap consequences in the future. Can I just take a moment? I say can I. I'm going to anyway. So just I said that to be nice, but I'm going to take a moment, okay, Uh, to make a real clarion call here about the idea of consequences and reaping what we sow. Because some of us, we're in the midst of making bad decisions, and the time to get out of that is now. You know what I found in the Christian life? For many of us, we have pain in our life. We have struggle in our life. We, whatever, depression, heartache, hardship, and there's a purpose for it. Pain tells us something's wrong. And so the pain is designed to drive us to God. And what we do for most of us as believers, we go to God until the pain starts to subside. And now I can manage it. And so I'm good now, and God, I'm okay. I don't need to go any further with this. Here I am, and I'm good. And then we're amazed that time and time again, i got to come back to this lesson because I have a life that's frustrating, and I'm here again because I never allowed God to do a thorough work in my life. And now I'm reaping that over and over and over again. Let me talk to our young parents this morning. The world today is evil. Listen, I'm not a conspiracy. You know what I mean? Where there's a conspiracy behind every tree. There's some people like that, and all they see is conspiracies. But let me tell you something. We live in a world today where we're not teaching kids education. We're teaching them an agenda. An agenda. Right? And it's, it's really difficult today to raise kids in the world that we have that evil is at our fingertips. I get that, but now listen to me. We would say the church is important, community is important. We need to be together and worship as a group of believers, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And yet, your kids aren't involved in junior church. Your kids don't go to the kids' club. Your kids are not involved in youth group. There is no building relationships here. And then we scratch our heads and wonder why at 19, 20, and 21, they don't want any part of this. Does that surprise us? It shouldn't. Because we've been planting seeds that this is not really that important. Let me continue. Since I've obviously offended some people already, I might as well offend all of us. Right? You understand what I'm saying? I'm serious about this. We've got to wake up. 
because there are, there are consequences for our ideas and our actions. We believe that we can fill our minds with lust and lies. And then somehow we're amazed that after some period of time in our wake is broken lives, broken relationships, broken children that are still dealing with our problems and our selfishness some 30 or 40 years later. We reap what we sow. And the list goes on. The way we spend our money, the way we organize our time, the way we waste stuff. And so, let me say to you this morning, for those of us who are nails here on these topics and others that we know we've been sowing this and sowing this and sowing that, let me say to you as clear as I can right now, stop. Just stop. You don't have to continue. You don't have to be foolish or arrogant or hard-hearted. You don't have to pretend like you're above these things. You can stop right now and save yourself and people you love the consequences of what is coming. Because it's coming. If you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. There's no way around it. And so I am pleading with you today. If you find yourself in bad decision after bad decision of of reaping or sowing and sowing and sowing, then right now, stop it. Repent. Ask God to forgive you and give you the strength that you need to make the decisions where you're planting now righteousness and holiness that will also come to fruition. There's a song we used to sing growing up. It was a great song, but it got ruined because we sang it for invitations, like for 20 minutes at a time. Come home, come home, ye who are weary, come home. And I would say to you this morning, stop. Just stop. Repent and come home. Don't be a fool like Ray Abom. Adjust now, okay? Now, so what do we do with some of us here this morning? that right now we find ourselves reaping what we have sown in life. Because of the decisions that we have made, our arrogance, our hard-heartedness, our foolishness, our pride, or decisions other people have made that impacted us, like injustice, abuse, divorce. What do we do when we come to a point we understand there is no fixing this now. There is not a band-aid for every dilemma. There are some things that we cannot undo. There are some things that cannot be righted in our lives. And maybe you're here now, and that's you, and that's me, and we we've, we've have this past, we have this shame, we have these decisions we made, and now we know we're right in the middle of it. Listen, this is, not, this is experimental, we know this, and it's biblical. There comes a point when I do something, I cannot fix it. Remember the children of Israel? They're getting ready to go in the promised land. And they sent out some spies. Ten were bad and two were good. Remember that one? Ten were bad and two were good. And the ten bad guys say, can't go in the land. Don't do it. And the people get discouraged. So discouraged that they want to stone Moses, Aaron, and Joshua and Caleb. And God says, I've had it with you people. I mean, this whole story all you do is gripe and complain and whine. 
I know that's only the children of Israel. We would never gripe and complain and whine. He said, I'm done with that. You're not going in. Your bodies will fall in the wilderness. Oh, okay, okay. We're sorry, God. We'll go now. And God says, no. And Moses says, don't. And they go and they attack the Amalekites, and they're put to flight because they were going to do it now. And God said, you've passed that point. The same happened for Moses. God says to Moses, the people need water, strike the rock. Moses strikes the rock, and water comes forth. And the second time they're thirsty, God said, don't smite the rock, speak to it. Because Christ is the rock. He'll only be smitten once. After that, he won't be smitten again. And Moses gets angry and says, you rebels, and he beats the rock. And God says, hey, Moses, you're not going to the promised land. And we think that's harsh. I I could never understand that my whole life. It's like, what? It's a rock. No, it's not a rock. It's a picture of Christ and our salvation. It's disobedience. And there's really a sad story in Deuteronomy 3. Moses is getting ready to die, and he says, Lord, let me go to the promised land. I pray, let me go over and see it. And God says, no. No. And not only no, uh, what's the next verse? I think he says, don't bring it up again. God said, Moses, this is done. Don't bring it up again. It's over. And then we have the story of Rehoboam. I'm going to keep the kingdom. I'm going to keep the kingdom. I'm going to keep the kingdom. And God says, no, this is from me. The kingdom is gone. It's gone. So, this morning, what do we do? If we are like the children of Israel, if we are like Moses, if we are like Rehoboam. You say, man, pastor, this is really a downer of a message. I wish I would have stayed home. I wish this was the, the freeze day. Listen, hang in there. I promise you, I want to make a point, but there is great hope for the believer today. There is great hope. Because the truth is, for many of us, we're there. The the, the time of stopping, the consequences could be coming, they're done. We're living that right now. The kingdom is passed. So what do we do? Let me give you four things from the story of Rehoboam this morning. Number one, quit living in the past. Quit living in the past. Rehoboam, the United Kingdom is over. You're not getting it back. Believer, your past is the past. It is over. That is not our residency anymore. That is not our address. We don't live there anymore. It's over with. So quit living in the past. The chapter is closed. You don't have to be a prisoner of your past this morning. Listen to me. That that is not a life sentence. Whatever it was that happened to you or that you did in the past, not a life sentence. It's a learning lesson. So stop living there. Stop it. You and I were not designed to live there. And the past is always changing. I'm amazed when I talk to people. It gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. My family members talk about the past. It's like, well, I was there, and I don't remember being that bad. Right? That's terrible. Stop living there. You want to live there? Go ahead. But it's not healthy. It's not right. The kingdom's gone. Go home. Stop. Quit living in the past. Number two, quit punishing yourself. Quit punishing yourself. 
Some of you sit and it's like, I'm so stupid. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that happened. I fell for that again. I, I just, I'm so stupid. That mantra goes on and on. When I was a youth pastor, we had a youth activity. I won't tell you what the activity was because it would offend some people here. It had to do with October and pumpkins. So we had this little setup where a guy was going to scare some children. And so a guy was working in there, and three of the teenagers in my youth group um, were messing around, and they took a pumpkin, and they threw the pumpkin at this guy and hit him in the head. Now, listen, I don't know. I'm talking pumpkins are heavy, right? I mean, it's like a, it's big. It's heavy. And they were stupid kids. As a matter of fact, one of the stupid kids may have been one of our missionaries that we support in Poland. It could have been. I don't recall, but I think it might have been one of those kids. That's why we support him today. Um, they hit this guy, and it, I think he was concussed, really. He came out, and here's what he, I, I will never forget. We were by a fire, and I was there. Everything was going well. He comes out screaming, you hit me in my stupid head. You hit me in my stupid head. You hit me in my stupid head. I'm thinking, quit saying that. <laughs> it's not, but he doesn't saying, you hit me in my stupid head. And I think for so many of us, we do this. Oh, my stupid head, my stupid heart, my stupid words, my stupid decisions, my stupid past. You've got to quit doing that. Quit punishing yourself. I love Newton's quotes, and and we need to really grasp onto this. He says, well might the accuser roar of things that I have done. Right? We have an accuser, and he roars, guilty, guilty, past, past, past. Well, might the accuser roar of things that I have done? I know them all. And thousands more. Jehovah knoweth none. He knoweth none. If I've come for cleansing, if I've repented, if I've acknowledged those things, and I said, God, I was wrong. I was mistaken. This was terrible. It was tragic. God, forgive me. It is not right for me to continue to say, I am stupid. This is crazy. Look at my past. It is done. It is finished. It is under the blood of Christ. You don't live there anymore. That's not who you are. That is not your identity. It's not your name. Believer, quit punishing yourself. You are beloved. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are elect. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're righteous. You are the apple of God's eye. You are a son or daughter of the king of heaven. And so, quit punishing yourself. Quit living the past. Quit punishing yourself. The kingdom's gone, man. It's done. Don't beat yourself up. Number three, pay attention to the word of God. It's it's the first thing that Rehoboam does that's right. He hearkens to the word of the Lord, and he goes home. Pay attention to the word where it finds you now. Right? What lessons now? What hope now? What comfort now? What peace now? What encouragement now? What joy now? What happiness now? Go and listen to the word of God where it finds you now, today, today, and go on living as grace enables you, right? Pay attention to the word, today, today. 
And then finally this morning, praise the good hand of our God for unexpected usefulness. Praise the good hand of our God for unexpected usefulness. Take your Bibles this morning and look at uh, Isaiah 61. I know I probably say this often. This is one of my favorite verses. And I, I got to quit saying that. But this is really one of my favorite verses. This is, if you go to Luke chapter 4, you find that these, this is talking, of course, about Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I think you hear in these words great tenderness and compassion for God's people. Here is the mission of Jesus. Listen to what he says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all that mourn. Now listen to verse number 3. To appoint or to console unto them that mourn in Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Christ's mission was to heal up the brokenhearted. And he takes the ashes and the heaviness and the sorrow of our lives, and in his power, he turns it into something beautiful that glorifies him. All of those people struggling in that text, Isaiah says they will be trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. God takes the brokenness of our lives, the suffering of our lives, the trials of our life, and he takes them and he makes us trophies of his grace. Our God delights in using our brokenness, our weakness, our past, our trouble, our pain, our suffering, all of our mistakes. He's much bigger than all of that, and nothing is wasted in his hands. And so we can thank God, we can praise him this morning for unexpected usefulness. And we can delight as we see him using our brokenness and allowing it to glorify God. I've been this for a long time. I have to tell you something. There is great beauty when someone who comes through brokenness is used by God to help someone else in brokenness. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But the comfort that God has given us, now he uses us to comfort other people. It's a beautiful thing, and nothing is wasted. You say this morning, Pastor Rick, you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know my past. Okay, fine. Maybe true, probably true. I guess it's true. But there is one who does know. He knows all about it. And yet in love, he gave himself for you. And he washed you in his blood. He redeemed you. So what's the problem? What's the problem? This morning, as we close, um, let me just say, as we look at the life of Rehoboam, some of us right now just stop. Stop. 
you are not the exception. You're not. Uh, stop trying to find your fulfillment and happiness outside of God's boundaries. It cannot work. It will not work. You can keep on doing that. You're a fool. You're a fool. Stop thinking that you will not reap what you sow. You will. We all do. So stop now and save yourself grief. But for the rest of us, we find ourselves in a spot where we're living there right now. Quit living in the past. Quit punishing yourself. If God has said you're forgiven, how dare we say we're not? He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pay attention to where the word finds you now and go on living as grace enables you. And finally, praise God, the good hand of God, as you see him use you, your usefulness in his hand.